0: So that was a clip from the World Health Organization and and in it we learn about the deadly consequences, the deadly consequences of pollution. And pollution, she says, it preys on the young and the old and its poisonous particles break into our lungs, protective barriers and set themselves deeper with every single breath. And whenever we breathe it in and we bring it into our body, the pollution pollutes us. And then it causes, she said, blood clots and stroke and heart attack and can even lead to cancer. And the air pollution not only affects us by polluting us, but it affects the environment that we live in, causing global warming, acid rain, ozone depletion, and causes hazards to our wildlife. Pollution contaminates us. It pollutes us, and then it contaminates the world and the environment around us by invading, overwhelming, and negatively impacting our bodies and our planet. And so we are currently in a series here at Rooftop called Sin, What Is It Really? Sin can sometimes seem like an abstract concept or idea, but what is sin really? What is it? What does it do? How does it affect us? But most importantly, how does Jesus remedy the problem of sin in our lives and in the world? And in the Bible, the biblical authors use a number of illustrations and metaphors to talk about sin and describe its consequences and the severity of it in our lives, including the one that we're going to tackle today, which is pollution. So when we think of sin... We think of a lot of things, right? But typically, pollution is not one of them. When we think of pollution, we think of contaminants to the air, the water, and the environment around us. And these are absolutely serious things. But the Bible talks about the severity of pollution as a spiritual condition inside of us. So we translate the word pollution, but the Hebrew word is gall, and the Greek word is alesgama. And it means defilement or impurity. And the biblical authors tell us that this defilement makes us polluted, unclean, and impure, right? It's something that is breathed in and it affects the different parts of us in our inner being and then affects and pollutes the environment around us. We're going to see this. Illustrated in scripture. So let's go ahead and go to um, our passage for today, which is in Leviticus, my favorite book of the Bible. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 18. I'm going to be jumping around and skipping around a little bit just for the sake of time. It's a long, lengthy passage. So when the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. Pause real quick. So God has just brought his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so he's saying, don't be like the people that I just saved you from living in sin, but also don't be like the people where we're going to the land that I'm going to give you. All right. And then he says, don't walk in their statutes. Don't be like them. Don't be like the rest of the world. You shall follow my rules, keep my statutes, walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes, my rules. And if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So he's saying, live by the ways that I have called you to live. Be different from the rest of the world. Verse 24. You may say, well, how? How do we be different? Well, he tells us. Do not make yourselves unclean or polluted by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So what's he saying? The people lived in sin and then what happens is it it polluted them and it then polluted their communities and then it even polluted the land that they lived in so much so that God says, I vomited them out of the land. Verse 26 But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. So don't be dirty and polluted, otherwise, I will do the same thing to you that I just did to the other nations. You will be vomited out. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the person who does them shall be cut off from their people. Verse 30, so keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean or polluted by them. I am the Lord your God. So what's going on here? What does this passage teach us? Well, it teaches us God's people have been brought out of Egypt, and God is telling them, don't again yoke yourselves to another slave master that is sin, because then it will pollute you. You will live in a sinful manner like the Egyptians and the Canaanites and then be vomited out of the land. So in the section we didn't read for the sake of time, Moses lays out a number of sins, including sexual immorality of a number of different kinds, as well as idolatry. And he instructs God's people not to commit these acts, because if they do, if they live like the rest of the world, if they live in sin, they're going to make themselves polluted and unclean like the rest of the world. And then God finishes with, keep my charge, don't practice any of these customs, and never make yourselves polluted by them. I am the Lord your God. So this passage teaches us a few things that we can take for our own life as it reveals sin and its effect on us. Number one, sin pollutes your purpose. Look at your neighbor and tell them, sin pollutes your purpose. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were chosen to be the light to the nations, to live as God's people, with God as their king. They had mission. They had purpose. They were to obey God's commands and in doing this, reveal the goodness and the faithfulness and the glory and the purity of their God and draw all nations in, right? They were a light to the nations to reveal the goodness of God, to bring them in and reconcile them to God. So in order to do this, though, God instructs them to not be like the rest of the world, to be different, to be pure, to keep themselves undefiled, to avoid pollution the ways that the other nations ran towards pollution. They were to live as God's covenant people with purpose. And God gave them direct warnings, yet the people chose to engage in sinful behaviors. There's a number of passages in the Old Testament that reveal this. One of them is 2 Kings 17, 7-8. And it says, so it was the, the children of Israel sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. So it wasn't long after God gave them that speech that they began sinning and living like the other nations. They feared other gods. They had idols in their hearts. They worshiped other gods. And then they, look, walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. They did the exact thing that God asked them not to do. Be different. Don't engage in in sinful actions that pollute your soul and your community. And it is what they did. And it's often what we do. And so they were supposed to be a people of purpose, and then they became a people punished. They were unable to live out their callings as holy priests and ambassadors to God when they're mired and stuck in sin, polluted. What about you? God has a plan for you to look different as a child of God to look different from the rest of the world, to be holy, which means to be set apart, to be uh, pure, to be undefiled. God has a plan for you to use you to be a light to the nations, to draw all people to himself. But if you're living in sexual sin, if your heart's full of idols, if you're doing things that defile you and the fa- your family around you, your friends around you, you are not going to be all that God has called you to be. Your light is going to be dimmed and you are going to be vomited out of your purpose. Sin pollutes our purpose. And if you're mired in sin, you're not going to be the mom. If you're polluted by sin, you're not going to be the mom or the dad that God has called you to be. You're not going to be the friend. You're not going to be the co-worker. You're not going to be the ambassador for Christ that God has called you to be. Instead, you are going to incur punishment. Punishment. That's what this passage teaches us, that pollution leads to punishment. Israel was exiled. They were called to walk with purpose, but they instead chose to walk in pollution, and then it led to punishment. They were vomited out of the land. Pollution, what does this teach us? This pollution that exists in our heart leads to separation from God. And if you are repeatedly, unrepentantly walking in sin, polluted and defiled by the ways of the world, you will incur the wrath of God who is determined to redeem and restore and cleanse the world from all unrighteousness. Number two, sin pollutes your person. Not only does sin pollute the purpose that God has for your life, But it pollutes your person. It pollutes you as an individual. God's warning for us to live by his commands and walk in his statutes and abstain from things that defile us is not just for his sake. It's for ours. God created us. He knows how we are to live so that we can flourish. He knows who we are created to be, to flourish and live a life with him. He's given us in his loving kindness laws to obey for our benefit, so that we don't become polluted and defiled. And yet, we do. We breathe in the pollution of the world. I'm going to read a, a, from the message translation, which isn't a literal translation. It's a, a paraphrase, but I think it really captures this passage really well. Ephesians chapter 2 it says this. And it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Can anyone relate to that? You're letting the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live your life and what to believe. And what is, what's the result of this? He says, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhale disobedience. When we act like the other nations, when we let them dictate how we live our lives and the things that we do, we are breathing in the pollution of the world just as the Israelites did. Sin pollutes us. What do I mean by that? It makes us dirty. I'm sure you can understand that feeling. When you do something wrong, what do we say? You go, ugh, I just feel dirty. Right? My young people, when you text that ex whose number you should have deleted a long time ago, and you hit him with that you up at 2 a.m., I see some of going like, hmm, hmm. You know what I'm talking about. What happens the next day? Oh, I just feel dirty, right? Just feel dirty. When you watch those videos that you know you're not supposed to be watching, It's polluting you and then you feel, feel dirty or you're around a bunch of people, you're all having some fun and then you say a racist, dirty joke and everybody around you laughs and then you just feel dirty, right? Why? Because sin is a power and it pollutes you, and you then pollute the environment around you. It makes you dirty and you make the things around you dirty. How's this for a final sermon? <laughs> I'm out of here, so I'm gonna just shoot you straight. <laughs> Isaiah 64 6 says this. All, some of you in here are like, that's not me, I'm not polluted. All right, here we go. All of us have become like like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All right, I'm gonna shoot y'all straight. Some scholars believe here when he uses this word polluted garment, he's talking about a used menstrual rag or potentially a rag that you would use after you've done your business. Some of you are like, gross, yeah. So what's he saying here? In comparison to the goodness and the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of our creator and God, you at your very best is like a used piece of toilet paper. How's that for imagery of our pollution? I bet none of y'all got that verse on a pillow. Y'all got... Jeremiah 29 11. You're like, what is that verse? Well, he knows the plans he has for me, says the Lord, plans to prosper. What's this one? Isaiah 64:6. 6. I'm like a piece of used toilet paper. <laughs> sin, sin makes us dirty. It makes us unclean. And this is an issue right? This is a problem because God is holy. And if we're not holy, we cannot enter into God's presence and have a relationship with him. So if Isaiah 64, six is our spiritual condition, that is bad news for us, but there is good news. God has a solution to your pollution. Come on, somebody turn to your neighbor. I'm a preach. Turn to your neighbor. God has a solution to your pollution. Tell him. So when I was a kid, I want to illustrate this. When I was a kid, I lived on a farm in Kentucky. I know that probably surprises you, but I grew up on a farm in Kentucky and behind my house, we had a creek. If you're from Kentucky, you say crick. So we had a creek behind the house behind a field, and, and what we would do, my friends and I, in the summers, is there would be, the, be some water in it, and it would fill up, and we'd run, and we'd play in it, we'd get muddy, and we'd get sweaty and dirty, and we'd get all gross, and we'd be out there for hours, and then we'd get hungry or tired, and we would want to go back to the house, and then my mom would look out the window, and she'd see us coming, and she'd go, hey, 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 don't co- don't come in here. Why? We could not enter into the house because the house was clean. And our, yes, all the moms in here like, yes, are you listening, son? You listen to him, listen to the preacher. And we couldn't enter into the house. Why? Because we were defiled, sweaty middle school boys. And we'd get The whole house defiled. So I was like, no, I'm walking here on my nice clean floors. Don't sit on my furniture. You're dirty. So there was a number of times my mom would be like, turn on the hose, hose yourself off, and then you can come into the house. Why do I tell you this? Well, because God is holy and God's house is holy and God's house is pure. And sadly, in our spiritual condition, we cannot enter in because we are defiled. But God has a solution to your pollution and it is Christ's propitiation. So I don't know if you noticed, I know Jacob mentioned it. um, The second or third song that we sang this morning is called Propitiation. And so me and two of the Herbig boys, we wrote that downstairs in the youth room. And so some of y'all heard that word and you're like, that's a big word. I don't know what that means. But what that word means is is atonement or the appeasement of God's wrath. I was like, I want to write a song. And I'm like, we could write Reckless Love. We could talk about God's wrath being appeased by Christ. So we went with that angle. But atonement in this context doesn't just mean uh, forgive, but it also implies a decontamination Oh, come on. Or a cleansing. So God's solution to our pollution is Christ's sacrifice. But before we get to Christ, there was just sacrifice. And within the world of Israel's sacrificial system, atonement brought about the restoration of right relations between God and Israel through the cleansing of the people. Some of you have wondered, why did Jesus have to die? Why do we call him the Lamb of God? Why do we sing about his blood? Well, we're going to talk about that. So... This was done, this sacrifice was done in ancient Israelite culture once a year at a, 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 a day called the Day of Atonement or the Day of Purification. So we're going to read about that again. We're going back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16. And so before this passage began, uh, the priest has selected two lambs, two goats. And he has selected them because they are to be spotless without blemish. So two perfect Lambs. Sorry they die, but we're going to read that in a second. So let's go to verse 15. Before that, though, Aaron has to even sacrifice something before he can even go in and sacrifice for the people. He's got to kill a bull, and that blood atones for his sins so that he can even enter into God's presence and then atone for the other people's sins, right? So then, verse 15. Hey, this is a lot. It's going to be a lot, so just buckle up, okay? Then, He shall kill the goat of the sin offering. So the goat dead, that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as you did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement, right? Propitiation for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of the transgressions in their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent from the time he enters to make atonement, right? Because we're all defiled. No one can enter into the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bulls, bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Some we are like, what is going on? He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it, consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. Verse 20. And when he has made an end... Of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar he presents the live goat so the first goat was killed its blood was spread upon the altar then it was symbolically dying in the people's place right wages of sin is death something has to die God is merciful and gracious and so an animal dies in their place and that blood sacrificially atones for their sins it purifies it now the live goat what do we do with him well And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and their transgressions, all their sins. And he puts it on the head of the goat and then he sends it away into the wilderness by the hand of man who is in the ready. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on himself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Verse 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. So let's break this down. The priest, right, has to kill a perfect spotless goat without blemish. And then he would sprinkle that blood on the altar in the sanctuary. And it would represent the punishment of the people, but also the cleansing of the people's sins. And then he would take the other goat. That's where we get the word scapegoat. And then he would take the scapegoat, lay hands on it, and he would put all the sins of the people on the goat and then send it out into the wild, taking away with it all the sins of the people. So one goat is killed, pays the penalty for their sin, and its blood cleanses them. The other goat takes their sins as far as the east is from the west. Are you getting where I'm going with this? And this had to be done once a year, because it didn't remedy the source, it just remedied the guilt and the shame and, and momentarily the punishment. There was always a need for sacrifice, one that would do away with sin once and for all. So let's go to the Gospel of John. John: 129 says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, "Behold!" The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is he saying here? Behold, here is the spotless lamb who will be punished in our place. Pay the debt that we owed and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Therefore, we will be atoned before God. Behold, Jesus, he says, is the Lamb of God who will what? Also, take away, like the scapegoat, take away the sins of the world. The sufficiency and the completeness of the sacrifice of Jesus is seen in the blood of Christ. He died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve, and His blood has cleansed us if we repent and we believe in Him. We are made righteous. As we close, I've got just two points for you all to remember. Christ propitiates. Christ propitiates. Look at what it says in 1 John. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the world. 1 John 4, 8, why? Because in his love, not that we loved him, but he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. God looked at our spiritual condition and he did something about it. He sent a sacrifice who would be the holy and perfect and spotless lamb who would die in our place and whose blood would purify us. Second point, Christ purifies. He is pure and he makes us Pure. We are cleansed and we are made pure by Christ, who is the propitiation for our pollution. He hoses us off so that we can enter into the house. We showed up, we were dirty and we were messy and we were polluted and we were defiled. And God looks at our spiritual condition and he does something about it. God sends his one and only son to die in our place as the ultimate sacrifice. He laid his life down to cleanse us. So now when we stand before God, we don't stand before God polluted and dirty and mired in sin, but we stand before him purified by the blood of Jesus. We are hosed off by the blood of Jesus and we can enter into the kingdom of God. We can have a relationship with him and we can be all that we are called to be sin wanted to pollute your purpose but Christ gives you your purpose back and he purifies you and he propitiates for you